is the Rams Review Podcast. Discussion, insights, interviews and analysis. All passion, all Derby County. The Rams Review Podcast is proud to be part of the Fan Hub 100, where fans come first. Hello everybody and welcome to, it's the first episode of the new season, near enough, um, with myself and Corey, and Corey, hello of course. Jason, I'm always here. You are, and obviously we did a pre-season one a couple of weeks ago. We're now doing a post preseason one um, in preparation sort of. for the new season. Yeah, um, and of course, uh, who else should we get on? But but Ryan Conway, Ryan, how are we doing? I'm okay. Presumably, all your other guests said no, and that's fine. I'm I'm here to pick up scraps. That's okay. I, you know, bring me off the bench twenty minutes. Get me in there. I'm, I'm good, man. I'm a good impact sub. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Nico said he wasn't available. So um, you see, yeah. this is Steve Nicholson's got tenure, man, and I, I know he's a bit of a diva, a bit of a prima donna, and all that. You got to watch Nico. You got to watch Nico. <laughs> yeah, you, can't, you can't trust anybody with fingerless gloves. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly, I mean, Ryan, exactly. I got a question about these fingerless gloves before we start. Do they have like the button on the back? Are they like mittens that he can, can flip back onto? No, the no, no. They're, or are they just full on? They're just full on. They're just full on fingerless. And I have been assured because uh, we, me and uh, Nico were, were at Pride Park earlier to, uh, you know, just sort of sit in and, and listen to uh, the, the Tom Lawrence fan Q&A thing. And if we had any questions for, for, for Tom afterwards, we could throw them his way. I was doing an interview with, with Camo Ujiak at the time, so I didn't get to... To, to ask Tom much other than who was the worst dressed at the at the club, but Nico assured me that he would be bringing the fingerless gloves with him on Saturday to you know ring in the new season. So there's that to look forward to. Unbelievable. Well, at least there's something to look forward to. Um, <laughs> but yes, I, I, I was going to mention that first off, Ryan. I did see earlier that you'd posted that on on social media about your interview with Kamal Yuzviak, and I mean, I suppose he is one of those. Just to touch on it, I don't want to obviously take the thunder of the interview, but. Yeah, a lot of us were probably looking at it last season and going, "Core, if he did just that extra ten percent from him would have would have been amazing." And then, obviously, I'm sure you you go through it in the interview. Just what what it takes, and I know me and Corey have both spoken about this. What it actually takes for somebody as young as he is to come over to this country in a pandemic and then lose his best friend best friend through injury and and have his football suffer and yeah, it, it it must be really difficult. And you know, I'm I'm one that. I'm looking on the side of optimism with him. I'm hoping, you know, he had a pretty decent Euros. I don't think you can argue that. Okay, Poland probably didn't go as far as, they, uh, as they'd as they liked or have done, but you, you've got to hope that he's coming into this season with a, with a little bit more, you know, he's got a year behind him at this level. He's got a year behind him in England. And boy, Christ, Ryan, Derby are going to need him, aren't they? As, as we stand at this moment in time, that's the type of player that Derby County are going to need. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think what, what came across really in the interview was um, just how tough he found it, you know, from a life perspective, just how tough he found it ad- adapting. It was very much a watered down version of, of, of the city of Derby that he, he, you know, moved, moved into um, because everywhere was in, in lockdown. And, and, and he admitted that that, that was tough. It, it was really, really tough on him. Um, he didn't know anywhere. He, 
moved over with his girlfriend, but he was, you know, he's, he's a bit of a bit of a home bird. He'd never, you know, he'd, all the clubs he'd played for were in Poland. He'd never really been that far from from home. So he didn't see his parents until Christmas. And Christmas was another um, difficult time for him emotionally because he got to see his parents for the first time in a, in a, in a long time. So there were emotions of that. Also, he wasn't used to playing over Christmas in Poland. They always had breaks. So he wasn't, he wasn't used to that. He was nursing a hamstring injury. And then right after Christmas, his best friend tears his ACL and, um, and, and that was very, very tough for, for, for Camille as well. You know, him and Christian were thick as thieves. You know, they, they did everything together. Um, that's not to excuse some of his poor performances. You know, you, you do still have to do the, the business when you put on the, the shirt. But if, you know, it's like any line of work. If, if you're having problems away from the, the pitch, be that problems adapting to a new area or, you know, loneliness, isolation or whatever it is, that's going to impact some things in your in your job. And, and that pretty much saw, was the case for Camille. This will be a much more accurate test of who Camille Yuzviak is um, this season. You know, he's, he's now settled, he's happy. Um, fans are back. He admitted that that was very strange playing games without any any fans. He said that sometimes they they did feel like preseason games. There's no escaping that because some he admitted that he's a player that kind of needs the energy of the crowd to feed off. You know, he said when you do a good dribble or whatever it is, um, that those things matter to him. You know, some players don't particularly need the the fans in in one sense. You know, they're just always amped up and can play whatever. Some players do need that that extra boost, that that extra adrenaline. And he admitted that he was very much one of those players, but he does have to improve. He knows he has to improve. He, he will need to improve for, 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 for Derby this year. If we can, you know, see close to 10 goals for, for Camille, you know, I mean, he only got one last year. If he was to up that to, you know, close to, you know, the other side of five pushing on 10. And if he were to get his assists close to that as well, that would be a, a very, very good season. But, um, but he's a, he's, he's, he's a lovely, lovely dude. And I hope, you know, nothing but the best for him. Cause yeah, you're right, Jason, they're going to need him. Mm. Ryan, this, this leads me to talking about the Derby squad as a whole, because I see two different versions of Derby County right now, when I'm looking at it going, what, three or four days before the season starts. There's the Derby County side that are able to sign the trialists that have been training with them. And then there's the Derby County side that was basically put out against Knott's County with no trialists. That is one's very veteran and experienced and obviously a lot bigger on numbers. And the other one's a lot more inexperienced, um, not necessarily more threadbare. Um, and I think everybody kind of wants to go the, the veteran route right now, because I think that's, that's going to be better for everybody. Um, how are you viewing it with the two different Derby sides and which type of Derby side do you think we'll see? Do you think they'll eventually get the veterans in and we'll see that kind of side or are they going to go with with this youth thing going into going to the opening week? Well, look, after the Notts County game, Rooney had spoken about this was the first time in the aftermath of that game. that This was the first time that he felt genuinely confident that Derby would be able to bring any players in he says you know the old cliche and the, the <laughs> 48 hours and hopeful but the, but the reality is if he is confident that Derby will be able to bring even just a couple of players in you know I, I know they need a lot but you have to start somewhere so even if they were to just bring a couple in they need to be signed by Thursday because obviously registration takes a couple of days this was why in the original fixture I think against Rotherham it was um, before that got rearranged because of COVID. Derby couldn't field any of their January signings because the paperwork hadn't been completed in time. Um, so if Derby are going to want to field any players that they may sign, um, you know, th this week, those signings are going to have to happen, well, 
within the next 48 hours so they can be registered. Um, there's a chance that, that Jagielka gets signed. I know the club really wants to keep hold of Ravel Morrison and, and Curtis Davis um, seems another one that they want to get wrapped up and, and, and in the bag. Um, th- those are the sort of three that I, you sort of put at the top of Derby's priority list of the vibes that, that I'm getting. Will they be signed in time? I would like to I would like to say yes, but as is all things with with Derby, I wouldn't feel confident saying that um, is is my own is my honest answer. So where do these two teams finish up? If Derby get these veterans in, where do you see them finishing? And, and if they play the kids, where do you see them finishing? Look, if if Derby go into the season with the squad they've got now, and this is no secret because Rooney has said this himself, they won't compete, and on that basis they'll go down. You know, if Rooney is saying himself that without signings they won't compete, if your manager is saying that, oh boy, you're in real trouble. You're in real trouble. And, he, and he, to be fair, he isn't wrong. You know, we 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 looked, we saw what Derby were when they were a team filled with kids that, in all honesty, a lot of them weren't weren't ready and certainly not ready to take on that level of responsibility. You look at someone like Max Bird, who for me is 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 massively over uh, overly criticised. Um, someone like Jason, Jason Knight, whose form was very inconsistent um, throughout last last season. Louis Sibley, same thing. Form, you know, last season was not good for for Louis Sibley. Um, but these kids were being asked to play significant roles in keeping Derby up, and and that wasn't fair on them. It wasn't their fault that they were being placed in the positions they were being placed in, and they were playing in a team that didn't have much confidence. Um, they didn't have much creativity. They didn't score a lot of goals, and it were being beaten pretty routinely. You know, well, not routinely, but were being beaten each each week. Um, so it's and if that is going to be the status quo going forward, throwing in guys like you know Isaac Hutch, uh, Hutchinson and, and Jack Stretton and um, you know Louis Watson might be asked to play significant minutes if it comes to that, and Lord, uh, uh, cash in at, at centre back, and Lord knows who will partner him centre back. It, it, it it's going to be tough to, to watch. If Derby are able to get some of these veterans in, you know, Rooney has, has said he would like to keep all of them, and I, and I believe him, um, all five of the, the six of the unsigned guys that have been training with them, plus whomever whomever else, um, it's a team that could finish, you know, lower, the very lower end of, 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 mid, of mid-table. Now, look, all things considered, regardless of what side comes in, regardless of what the squad looks like, if Derby stay up this season, I'd consider it a success. Yeah, that, that's that's got to be the remit, hasn't it? Surely. I mean, you've you've mentioned a couple of players there, uh, Ryan, that I want to touch on a little bit, just in case it does go the way of not you know nobody in in time for for Saturday. I was there at the Notts County game, um, and Aaron Cashin looks a, a very interesting prospect at centre off. Now, from going from you know the first real minutes in a professional. Uh, for for the first team as such to then being thrown in to maybe start the first two league games or the league and cup game or something like that it's going to be a little bit harsh on him and you know you was mentioning who, who would partner him and well you'd have to think Forsyth and then you hear the news that Lee Buchanan's probably going to miss the first couple of games um, because of this niggling injury that kept him out obviously kept him out against Notts County so then you're looking at a 17 year old playing at left back in Williams, who obviously played against Notts County on on Saturday, and I think th- this is the thing. It's it's all well and good 
you see, oh, Derby need to bring in players. Derby need to bring in this. Derby need to bring in that. And yet, and they do. I think you know that's that's not a, that's not a surprise. But like you said, there, it's it's a huge overall because even bringing in just three or four puts puts some band aids on things. But it's only going to take one or two injuries. And let's face it, the beginning of a season, what are you going to pick up more likely than not? You're going to pick up these little niggling injuries. And it's not something that Derby can afford. Obviously, with Knight, Buchanan now, it could be a couple of weeks. I've not really seen how long he could be potentially out for, but I've read that it's only a couple of weeks. But it's... Me and Corey mentioned this when we looked at the fixtures. Now, using cliches, as we all do, you know, no game's easy uh, on pay. You know, on, on paper, no, it's it's the way that you look at things. But we said Derby's obviously Derby's start to this season, probably bar the Forest game, and I mean that's one that they should be up for anyway. Derby's got quite a favourable first few fixtures. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with this. That Derby's first six games are, are really winnable. I mean, they open with with Huddersfield, and you know that Huddersfield team fell like a stone in the second half of the season. Now, they had a lot of injuries, but that that was a team that was wide open. They couldn't defend for their life. And they've made a lot of signings in this window, Huddersfield, year two under Corbyn. Now, they're an interesting outfit. You probably want them really early in the season, you know, when they are trying to gel some new signings in and kind of know that they can't really defend, you know. And then you've got two promoted teams back-to-back away, Peterborough and, and, and Hull City. You know, and then the Borough game's hard. And as you mentioned, then the Forest game, which is always un- unpredictable. And then Birmingham, which, Lebo, you did a terrific job with them in the end. They'll be an interesting prospect. But yeah, that, that opening six, it's not it's not bad. Um, but then September and October are just brutal. You, you go, you know, the team goes to West Brom. They go to Sheffield United. They host Reading, who have lost a couple of key players, but are still an interesting prospect. They then host Swansea. Again, that, that team looks like it's been dismantled a, 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 a little bit. And then, you know, coming out of October, they host Blackburn Rovers. Now, we know what happened last time they hosted Blackburn Rovers in a league game. They were absolutely cut to ribbons. Um, Derby need to get a good start out of the gate here, particularly in August, where their fixtures, as you mentioned, are pretty, pretty kind. Um, it would be a massive missed opportunity in, in one sense if they were to not maximise the potential points that they could get from that, even with the, the sort of patched up um, squad. Th- that is taken into account if they're able to bring in some of these unsigned um, guys. But yeah, it is it is a kind, kind using that term loosely, um, yeah. open, opening six. Because Ryan, I look at it and I think, yeah, the opening six might be very kind, but if you lose a couple, it could go pear-shaped very quickly and we could end up in a situation like the club we're in last season where it was October, wasn't it, when Norwich, I think, was the first win and it was Rooney's last goal with the, with the free kick and obviously ultimately led to Kaku being sacked weeks later. But they always kind of had to play catch-up after, uh, after that. And the other thing is, for me, you know, they have until the 18th of August to submit these accounts and so then you have a potential potential points deduction conversation occurring again. And you want to be able to get points on the board as quickly as possible, because if you get six or nine, even three, six or nine points, whatever it's going to be, you don't want to be, you want to have those points on the board and then taken away rather than not have them then be in a negative and then try to dig yourself out of the goal for, for mental, mental space, I would assume. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, obviously we know that they have got three suspended points um, from the EFL. So if they, you know, 
fail to pay their players on time again, that could very much come into effect as, as well. They, they you're, you're right, Corey, they really can't afford to be behind the eight ball here, but they're, they're not being helped much, you know, and I don't mean that in a, in a sympathetic way. Look, I, 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 I think very much the, the rule that the EFL had whereby Derby's kids that basically turned out against Chorley meant they were senior players. I don't think that rule ever took into account a pandemic because, as I've explained um, before, uh, it is a little unfair that um, Derby are being forced to register these players as senior players for a cup game that they did want rearranged, but the FA said, no, that's unfair. That's the only thing I, I particularly have sympathy with them on because the rest is, is kind of of their own making and of the EFL's own making. You know, this is this is not neither side look comes out of this looking particularly good, but they can't afford to get behind the too much behind the eight ball. That they they have to find a way to get some get some results and compete, um, and that's going to be incredibly difficult because you're going to need your best your better more talented and experienced players. So you know Tom Lawrence and Nathan Byrne and and whoever's in goal. It looks like I think. I have a feeling Keller will be the number one. So I'm going to need him to have, you know, some really solid showings. You're going to need, you know, Shinny to be to be very good as he usually is. You're going to need Colin Kazim Richards to get to start off hot. You can't, you know, the last thing you want is Kazim Richards opening the season with no goals in in the first six games or something like that. You want to get him nice and nice and hot straight out the gate. Tom Lawrence could do with a good early goal. Camel could do with a good early goal. You're going to need all these guys to be at their apex right from the off um, and then hope that the, the the kids that are being fielded sort of, you know, are carried by that, by that wave of, of, of momentum, because yeah, you, you can't, you know, you can't afford to have, you know, three points from your opening six games and, and, and then be worried about account stuff for, you know, players being paid on time. Cause that, that might be an anxiety for all fans as well. Knowing the, the suspended points deduction is each month comes around and you're just crossing your fingers. Has everyone been paid on time? Has everyone been paid on time? And, and, and yeah, look, Derby's players have been paid on time since what was it December, but the fact that it, it did happen and this, you know, it, when it was December, it was for the second time in as many years. You know, it, it does it is cause for for concern, and you're going to have those natural um, anxieties. So yeah, the earlier that they can get points on the board, obviously, the better. One thing we talked about a few minutes ago, we talked about the incomings, right? The trialists that are playing. Obviously, I know there probably won't be a lot of transfer money spent around Pride Park this year. Um, because of the transfer embargo and the limits that you can bring in wages and things like that. But traditionally, Darby have always sold players in the summer. I mean, you look at Vidra, you look at um, Will Hughes, you, player players of that, of that kind of ilk. And it's been an oddly quiet summer from Darby on the selling front as well. I know, obviously, Forrest was sniffing around Lee Buchanan. Um, do, you see, do you see any of these? I mean, obviously, like you just said there, um, David Marshall. I mean, I can't imagine that he's going to be happy sitting on riding the pine behind Keller Roos. Do you see anybody who's going to leave? And, and if they do, are they going to be able to pick up any transfer fees? Because my second question, who's going to want to pay any money for the fourth bottom team in the championships players? They're not at high value right now, are they? Yeah, no, I, 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 to answer the first part of the question, um, I actually don't see anyone leave it through for, for no other reason than I, I think Derby are in a position where they, they can't really let anyone leave. And, um, Rooney has been strong, particularly on uh, Jason Knight in January, where you know he sort of said, amid the financial troubles that vultures would be circling, he said, "Well, vultures can circle all they want. Jason Knight's not leaving the football club." He made that abundantly clear, and Jason Knight did not leave the football club. He's been similarly strong on Lee Buchanan, you know, saying that he's not going anywhere um, unless the unless the bid is is absolutely 
you know they cannot turn down that that kind of that kind of money. Um, and from what I understand, obviously Forest, you know, have, have submitted a couple of bids, and they are nowhere near the valuation of what Derby have on on, on the player. I don't know the valuation that they have only Buchanan, but one source had told me that basically it was money that Premier League clubs would be having, not Championship clubs. That's the kind of valuation that they're talking about for for Buchanan. Um, uh, and I don't think anyone. You know, I mean, Tom Lawrence is entering the last year of his of his contract. You know, he's on, you know, big money. I think any team that wanted Lawrence could look at him and go, well, we can either start talking to him in, in, in January or we'll just, you know, we'll pick him up for nothing. Similarly with, with what um, Coventry kind of did with, with Martin Wycon, you know, Nathan Burns in the last year of his contract. Um, you know, Marshall, Roos, they're all in the last years of their contract. So I, I think if you're a team looking to add from, from Derby, you either... You know, you're going for players that they are just not selling unless it's crazy money, or you look at it and think, do we take our chances and pick them up for free next year? Probably, assuming that they can, you know, offer more wages than. And if somebody, than, than and if Derby somebody else picks them up, then so be it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, 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 and that's that's really the really the the, the case here. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't really see Derby losing many players because they can't af- they can't afford to. They can't sign the, any new ones. Num- yeah, in terms of the numbers, <laughs> in terms of the numbers that they've got, and one would assume that any money they brought in may have to be used elsewhere to to, to facilitate the the club. Um, but yeah, I think I think the players that they've got, as you know, as few as they have got, are pretty pretty safe there for for now. Jason, I think the one name that obviously was has been heavily, not heavily linked, but it's been a name that's lingered all the way through the summer is obviously Marshall going back north of the border. But I see Celtic have signed Joe Art today, so yeah, David Marshall is he really going to then go to Celtic? Probably not. So maybe maybe he is there. Um, it's something I want to come on to in a second. But actually, from what I've seen of of Kellerus in the last couple of friendlies, is he, he's he's looked a, a little bit more assured of himself. Um, obviously, only only minutes and, and f- games will will see from that. But I've I've noticed. I think certainly in I think it was the Betis game. His his distribution was 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 really strong. I know that has always been you know a, a, a pretty decent part of his game anyway. Um, but it, it will be interesting to see. I th- I think the the riding emotion is it's so. Okay. <laughs> It's okay to get worried about these kind of things. It's okay to complain about the, the quality of player that we're looking at or we've still got at the club. But is there really anything else out there at the moment in Derby's ballpark that they could go and they could go and get that's going to be much better than what they've got around at this moment in time? And I, I would have to argue, yes, whilst Derby might still be a bit of an attractive club, Wayne Rooney, the manager, you know, that kind of thing. I, I I'm I'd be of the opinion that there will be. I can't. I can't. Look, see... I, I think I, I know. I, I kind of know where you, what you you're going, but I, I not to upset any. You know, not to upset fans that are listening. But Derby historically is a is is a huge club, and, and and even in recent history, it's a massive club. You know, it went to a playoff final what three four seasons ago. It's a massive club. This version of Derby is not an attractive proposition. No, you know, it, and I think we have to. Be honest about that. They're, they're right now that they're, they're not that attractive a, a proposition. They stayed up on the on the last day of the season. They're riddled with financial issues, um, you know, uncertainty at all levels of the club. Um, they're, they're not that attractive a, a prospect right now because of all the things that, that go on. If they clean a few of those things up, of course they become an attractive proposition again. You know, the training facility is a first rate. Stadium's huge and. 
uh, you know, as you said, they they always seem to find a way to bring in a star name somewhere. Um, so yeah, if they were to clean these issues up, of course they become an attractive proposition again. But I, I'm it's a hard sell trying to get a player to come to what was a, a team that you know was what twenty minutes from being relegated last season has only got eight fit players, has has got ownership worries, has got uh, and inex- he is Wayne Rooney and he's done some pretty good things tactically, I think. Um, but he's still a very inexperienced manager. Um, so yeah, those those things can be can be hard things to to, to sell. Particularly if, like, look, even if one of the club is interested in you, that club is at the current state of play almost certainly in better shape than 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 Derby. And as a player, security wise, you know, the other club, you know, regardless of what it, it might might be a more secure um, option. Um, and I think that reflects in the kind of players that. And Derby are looking to, to sign because they are, you know, free agents. They are guys that are at the latter end of their career. When you look at someone like Phil Jagielka, or they are guys that are looking for another chance somewhere. Sonny Aluko, Tom Carroll, you know, they are they are players that have got rightly or wrongly reputations affixed to them. Ravel Morrison, which uh, and I've done a piece about this. I think his reputation is slightly unfair, particularly in the last two or three years, where he's not really been a problem at any club. He's, he's been at Ostersunds or Sheffield United. No one had. Um, any bad things to, to say about Ravel? Um, seems that he has got thing. It seems that his life treats him well now, and that is awesome. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, that's the kind of wheelhouse that, that, that they're they're looking for. And then you look at the players that they have already got. Ke- Keller Keller's a, a, the perfect example. I think Keller for his uh, for what he's, he's actually because he's this dude is huge, but mm. remarkably agile. I know all goalkeepers are supposed to be, but he for his size, he is more agile than other goalkeepers his size. I, I think. But his inconsistencies is what set him to the bench. His inconsistencies are what led Derby to bring in David Marshall. If And the question is always the same with Tom Lawrence, if they were more consistent. But the counterpoint is always, if they were more consistent, they wouldn't be at Derby. They, they'd be, if they could, if, if if Lawrence could reproduce, you know, the form that we know he can show every every game or more often, he'd, I think he'd be he'd be plucked off by by now. You know, Colin Kazim-Richards did wonderful things when, when he came in. Tailed off towards the end of the season, he was absolutely battered and shattered but yeah tailed off towards the end of the season he himself what 34 35 years old now um carrying an injury yeah exactly now he looks he looks he looks he looks fresh again now but again you know you look at that's the kind of player you know they brought him cheap on a on a a free as a replacement for for chris martin um that's the kind of wheelhouse that that derby have, have are shopping in and have been shopping in now for three windows and and their finances have got worse for three windows so the quality of player isn't going to go up. It's going to go down. Yeah. And that's a concern. That's a real concern. And what they, in an ideal world, uh, what they, what would be handy to happen is a Premier League club offers them 15 million for Lee Buchanan and, and they go, thank you very much. We really need this cash. Um, but that, <laughs> but we don't live in an ideal world. So, you know, that probably won't happen. I need someone to come up and say, I'll give you 15 million. Yeah, sure. But yeah. <laughs> fantastic. I'd love that too. Ryan, you've mentioned his name a couple of times and it's a player, obviously he's, he's the manager. It's Wayne Rooney, a player I grew up idolizing um, and then everything like that. He had some recent off the field indiscretions, uh, which have been well-documented, I think to say the least. Um, and, and Ryan, I know you follow the NFL very closely. If this was an American sports franchise or team, Wayne Rooney would be in the unemployment line right now. Um was it how how was it close to being a sackable offense and and how because it's not good optics when your team like you said is not an attractive proposition all these financial issues 
and your manager is having his own private life, that's fine. But he's also the manager of a big football club. And he's also a, a legend of the modern era. It's not good optics, is it? And then how did, how much leash does Rooney have this year, I guess, is, is, is my perspective. And, and why didn't he get the sack for the indiscretions 10 days ago? Yeah, so I think to 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 be, I, you know, I think it was Ian Holloway that had said on on Talksport that that Rooney was was lucky that um, he, he kept his job, you know, because managers have managers have been sacked for 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 less, and um, you know, I think that's a fair opinion to 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 have. Um, I think partly why Rooney wasn't, you know, sacked was one, it's not a crime. What he committed was not. It's very, it's very silly and you know embarrassing. But it's not, it's not a crime. It's, you know, it's it, it might um, not bode well if Rooney's trying to give out orders about how his players should behave. It's more a thing about how how things are affected in the dressing room in terms of respect and 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 carrying yourself the right way and those sorts of things. Leadership, you know, it has to come right from the right from the top. You know, it has to come from you know that's come from Mel Morris down. And Wayne Rooney is part of that chain of command. And as a manager, he's a significant part of that. So I, I think part of it was, look, it's embarrassing. His privacy was breached, you know. Um, uh, his trust was um, abused, I, I, I guess. And yeah, that's that's one part of it was it's not legal. It's embarrassing. It's not legal. Um, I think the other part of it was could be a financial reason. Can Derby afford to pay compensation to sack Wayne Rooney? Um, I think that's an, that's another part of it. Um, I think, look... I, it is. I'm very much on the side of this. Is very very silly. It's very embarrassing. It's silly. It shouldn't be doing. And if you're, you know, but um, yeah, I don't. For me, in my opinion, I wouldn't have sacked him for for, for this. I understand those that would. I'm not saying I understand those that would. But but for me, this is more of like you go. Oh, come on, man. Like come on. We really can't have this kind of silliness. You're meant to be our manager in this, you know. And I, and I wrote a piece that went live today that you know the sources I spoke to. Did were disappointed by by what Wayne, you know what Wayne did, and um, you know did bring up the point of you know how can this guy now lay down the law when that's you know he's been pictured doing that and you know and, and stuff of those things. So I think more of a respect, some respect has to be earned back by by Rooney. I think that's I think that's fair fair enough. I think that's fair game. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's one of those where ain't, ain't nothing illegal happened. It's just really really really. Dumb. <laughs> is how how hot's the hot seat for him if he gets hey, off to a first I, 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 start, or I is mean, he here the, for the season? I mean, I I I think there's more chance of him resigning than being sacked, and I and I don't say that saying that he he will resign. I just think again from a financial standpoint, can Derby afford to to sack him, and not only afford to sack him, can they then afford you know the the wages for whatever manager you know would would be to 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 come in so i, I like think you say you're only going to get a certain caliber of manager because of the state your club's in you're not going to get pep guardiola you know what i mean he's, he's not coming you're right, not going to exactly. get those upper end echelon managers that maybe 18 months ago you could have attained to get when you got a lampard and a kaku it, it's a different it, this 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 is ex- this is exactly it uh, you know when it's one it's one thing it's one thing sacking wayne or saying you're calling for calling for him to be sacked looking around at managers who and you know they're that there would be managers that would take the job because there are only so many managerial jobs to go around. Someone would take the job. Would that someone be any better suited to take the job than than, than Rooney would be? Um, I'm not so sure the answer is yes. I, I'm not so sure that that is the the, the correct answer because um, you you look around. It's pretty it's pretty slim pickings, you know. For you know, people that are queuing up to take the job of 
a team riddled with financial difficulties that only have seven fit outfield players, eight fit outfield players, um, and can't really, you know, bring bring anybody in, ownership doubts and, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, they're in a tricky position if, if Wayne were to be sacked or resign. Like I said, I only say resign just because of the financial implications of, of, of being sacked. And I also think, let, let's just be, be clear about this, I also think, um, you know, for the mistakes that Wayne has made off the pitch and tactically as it regards to setting up on the pitch, where I do think he was naive in some of his selections, um, he's not really been helped that much by ownership, right? He's not really been helped that that much. And I don't think any many people would blame Rooney if, if he were to resign over some of, you know, some broken promises, you know, he kept being assured that the, the takeover was happening and then it didn't happen and, you know, promises of the players coming in and all this sort of thing. You know, at some point you, you kind of go, you know what? I've had enough of this. And yeah, he was, yes, he's been part of the problem, you know, as a manager, as he was part of the problem as a player, but it's not the entire problem. You know, this is a collective thing, you know, this is a, and I wouldn't blame, I don't think many people could blame him if he were to go, you know what, this just ain't, this just ain't for me because time and again, he wants to try and make this work. And by all accounts, from people have spoken to sort of behind the scenes, he does have a plan. He has a very dedicated plan of what he wants to achieve, but, he needs help with that and he's not getting it and he's certainly not getting it at the speed that he would he would like and I know fans get on the back of when he repeats certain messages in presses and stuff like that but what else would you like him to to do you know he's not in control of the purse strings he's not in control of the accounts he's not in control of the takeover he's not in control of of, of things like that so it, it's tough I I, I, I do sympathise with with Wayne to to um to, to a, a degree because he's, he's not being helped a lot Jason I've got one more question, but I'm going to turn it over to you because my question is non-Derby related. So I'll turn it over to you for the last Derby related point. Yeah, well, it's not really Derby related point. I think we've, we've, we know the, the mire that we're in. Um, Ryan, I want to get your opinion on the championship season, season as a whole this year for the, la- for the last couple of minutes of the chat. Um, who's, your, who's your tip to go up? Who's your tip to go down? And who's your dark horse? Uh, yeah, so I think, I think Fulham will win the division. Um, Marco Silva, obviously a, a coach that has showed flashes that he knows what he's doing in in in, man, in management, and I think them getting Harry Wilson along with Mitrovic, provided that Mitrovic, you know, stays, um, I think they'll have too much firepower for the rest of the division. My concern about the championship is we're seeing quite an increase in a gap between sort of teams that come down from the Premier League and the, and the rest, because if you look at the teams that have come down from the Premier League, I think they're best equipped to go straight back up and, you know, not, not to suck the fun out of those fan bases, but I kind of just want a bit of unpredictability in the, in the whole thing. Um, tips to, to go down. We can't make any bones about it. If Derby don't add to the squad, I think they'll go down. And the evidence is there in Rooney saying that they won't be able to compete. So as of right now, Derby might be, Favourites to go down, and that is not good. Um, but things can change before the window. Things can change. Um, I think Blackpool might not have enough quality to stay in the division. Um, Huddersfield are a team that interests me because I think they could either be really good or they could be terrible. Now, I don't think Huddersfield will be a boring team this year that just sort of sits in the middle of the pack. I think they'll be you know, really, really fun to watch or they'll be dreadful. Um, but I, I think... Think maybe Peterborough might not have enough quality to stay in the, div- the division as, as well. Dark horses, um, I, I quite I quite like Luton and Blackburn Rovers um, for, for dark horses. And now obviously Armstrong, big sort of question marks over if he's staying or not. But if, if he does stay, they have a real chance of getting into uh, into the playoffs. Cardiff is another one I like. Kiefer Moore got twenty goals last year, and I like the job that Nick McCarthy did once he came in. Um, and as for Luton, I think Nathan Jones has done a really good job. 
Um, they made some good signings. Um, on your dimmer from Wickham, I think it's a really, really good signing. Um, so yeah, I think those three could be in the chasing pack for for um, for the for playoffs. One team I think could be sort of on the slide down, not like down towards the relegation area. But I think Reading might regress considerably this season. They lost the two, in my opinion, the two best players in uh, in uh, Richards, the, the left back, and then uh, Michael Elise, who was just magnificent for for them this season. I think Reading could be a team that, that struggles, and I think Swansea, that team, looks like it's been picked apart you know Andre Ayew is now left and he was the source of nearly all of their goals Freddie Woodman has gone back they lost Mark Gay at, at, at centre-back that, that's the entire spine of their team basically ripped up right there so I think Swansea could be in real trouble this year not you know again not relegation trouble but in terms of would really struggle to meet high expectations this year I think Swansea and Reading could be two that are on the, the downward curve and a new manager, of course, with, with Swansea in, in Martin yeah. from MK Dons. So, yeah, yeah. I, and that's an interesting one as well, because while MK Dons did play some good football, they didn't really play much winning football, you, you mm. know, and that's the aim of the game at the end of the day. Absolutely. Corey, come on then, last question. Ryan, I saw on your Instagram story, we were talking about it. You were on holiday. Um, I know you've had some amazing Euro excursions and I was following them. I'm very jealous that you were able to watch uh, the Euros and that's an entirely different conversation. But you were hanging out with some baby animals. I was hanging out with some baby animals. We shared some baby animal photos together. My we question did, to did. you. That was wholesome. That was wholesome content, right? Yeah, 100%. Definitely. I mean, who doesn't want to share pictures of baby goats and cows? That's awesome. I mean, I certainly prefer my cow and beef burger form. But, you know, watching them live, you're like, whoa, that's not that's not in between two buns, slow and mayonnaise and ketchup. What is going on here? Favorite baby animal, Ryan? Oh, without, without a doubt, the goats. Like... Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're just they're just awesome. They have so much energy, and they they just always look happy to see you. And they bound over, and they yes, I I I. There was a little baby goat that was in the pen where I was at the farm the um the other day, and I, I was just like, man, I wonder if I could steal you. Like, I really wonder if I could just like put you under my jumper and wander out with you. So yeah, baby baby goats all, all the way. I am a big fan of piglets, but when they grow up into into pigs, I think man, that would be a real. I just think of that to, as bacon to to, to 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 look after. Do you see everything in quantity if you could Food. eat it? That's yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Can, I mean, that makes I, me sound like eat, I'm a terrible person. Like I don't like I if Peter's this? listening. Like I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's fine. No, I agree with you. I think I think baby goats are they're probably top of the list. I saw some baby goats. Um, when I was up in Amish country last week, uh, I did actually meet an Amish man, very nice gentleman who sold me an apple pie. But because he was Amish, I was like, yeah, just shut up and take my money, dude. This is fantastic. Man, you're, so, you're so American of apple, apple pies. Being <laughs> yeah. sold I mean, I wasn't in a Chevrolet. I was because I, you know, <laughs> I, I drive a Ford, a good old American car. But uh, yeah, no. So Jason, favorite baby animal. I go with piglets. I quite like piglets. Yeah. I, my, my mate's actually got a pet pig, which is huge. So. Is it huge uh, for him it, or is where the Where does it live? Uh, in the house. It's th this thing's massive. <laughs> it's like it's like thirty stone. It's this big black hairy thing. It's huge. Um, but that that is a that is another conversation. There's a lot of things I could say. I just don't think it's appropriate that's, for me to. That's a, that's absolutely outstanding. How long has he had the pig? Uh, about eighteen years now, I think. Wow. So yeah, this pig's got huge. tenure. Did he buy yeah. it? Did he think it was like a micro pig and then it got huge? He was like, I think I've been sold at the river. This thing is not pigs. a yeah, this is not uh, a micro pig. It's is, a very is, real big pig. His dad's a very low-level um Dell boy. I think he probably got it wheeling and dealing. I think it was some form of a we, we swap a pig for, for some form of tractor or something. It very, very strange, very strange. A wheelbarrow of, of broken lawnmower yeah, engines. Only it. fools and horses fans will get the reference. They'll they they'll will. know. They'll they know. <laughs> well, just be 
Ryan, I appreciate you've got to go. I have got to ask you, Corey's just reminded me, your experience of the Euros, obviously covering it with the Athletic, what, what was it like, especially with England doing, obviously, as well as they did? What was it like for, for you personally from an England's point of view and obviously as a tournament as a whole? Oh, it was, honest, man, it was the, 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 the proudest um, sort of moment of, of, of my career to, to be able to cover that and do that and, and, and write so many things about that. And yeah, it was, it was wonderful. And I always think um, from, this is my personal opinion, I, I think a lot of people in my industry and in journalism industry get quite jaded and fatigued by watching a lot of football, even, you know, high caliber football. And I always think it's important to never lose sight of how, how fortunate you are. You know, I was I, I was there. I didn't have to pay for a single ticket. You know, I was there soaking up all the atmosphere. I was there doing, you know, th this was my my job. Um, and I always, you know, remember how fortunate I am to be able to do this. And I remember how fortunate I am to be able to travel up and down with Derby last season when when fans couldn't go. So that I never lose sight of, of that. I never take that for granted whatsoever because I, I realise that I'm in a very fortunate position. The final, unfortunately for me, kind of... Um, was eh, just because the misbehaviour of um, the England fans, and obviously I was sort of in in the midst of that. Didn't know how bad it was at the time. You just sort of in in the in the you know the heat with the in the kitchen with the heat, as it were. Um, and it was only when you see all the pictures and images that you realise actually the scale of how bad it was. Um, so yeah, the final was kind of like a downer on the whole thing because of the behaviour of some fans. But the experience as a whole was was absolutely phenomenal and. Yeah, something I'll cherish with me for forever and ever. And you know, getting to you know interview Ashley Cole was was a massive thrill for me as as, as well. You know, obviously, a good good ghostwriter has never you know never revealed that they ghost wrote, but Ashley revealed that I did his column. So if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So yeah, that 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 whole thing was absolutely amazing. Bumped into quite a few Derby fans actually around Wembley Way. That was awesome as well. That was a that was a lot of fun to to chat to them and, and talk to talk to those folks. So yeah, honestly, man, it was it was absolutely awesome. And uh, but by the time it was over, I was ready for it to be over. I slept for like four days after that. <laughs> And, and looking forward to, I'm sure, another another interesting nine months with Derby. Uh, of course, you know what else would you want to be doing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's crazy to think this is already my third season here. Mm. You know, this is already my. I was speaking to, to Nico earlier. This is he's heading into season thirty something with the club. Um, Jesus, I've not even. I've been alive just thirty years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean Nico's been doing. Nico's been in his current role as like um, chief football reporter for longer than I've been alive. So that, that tells you how tenured the guy is. But yeah, like this is season number three for me. And um, yeah, it's already absolutely, you know, whizzed by the, the time. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to another season of thrills and, you know, probably a lot of, yeah. probably a lot of spills as well. Have, Hopefully have you started more thrills to dye your hair time. yet, Ryan? Pardon? Have you started to dye your hair yet? Nope. I've just started getting more greys in my beard. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Because that's what Darby County will do to you. Never, yeah, never, never yeah. a dull day with this club. Well, Ryan, as always, thank you very much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. All obviously um looking forward to listening to you, reading your reports for the throughout the season. I'm sure we'll catch up in the uh, in the near distant future. Take care, mate. Thanks very much. No, I appreciate you guys having me on. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. Before we move on to our next segment, we are proud to announce that we are going to be partnering with two amazing organizations this year. First is going to be Flat Back Four, and the second is Six Yards Out. Flat Back Four provide a wide range of club um, memorabilia with the kind of foosball four guys um, on it as well. Amazing clothing range. They've got some awesome Derby stuff, so go and check them out. And we'll be doing some competition giveaways um, and various different bits and bobs throughout the season, so stay tuned for that. And our second partnership is going to be with the Six Yard Out folks. They do some amazing different 
kind of bespoke gifts, all kind of things, Derby County. They've got England mugs, Derby County mugs and various different kits, and you can get them customized and have old players on them. Um, some really amazing things. You can use Rams Review as a, as a coupon code there as well and get 10% off. Really proud to be partnering with two amazing retail retail partners. So be on the lookout for those um, and check them out if you haven't already. Um, again, that's, that's Flatback 4 and 6 Yards Out. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the next segment. And Corey, now it's time for the big one. It's the curtain raiser at Pride Park on Saturday. And to review it. Preview it, Jason. Preview it, of course. Preview. I I mean, the amount of times I said that last season. But yes, to preview it is Simon Copeland from Andy Takes That Chance podcast. Big Terriers fan. And he's going to give us the lowdown on what's been happening over the summer up the road at Uddersfield. Simon, thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure to uh, to meet you. Uh, how are we doing, mate? Likewise, Jason. Corey, thank you very much for having me on. Um, I'm very good, thank you. How are you both? Can't I could complain, complain, but it's not going to do any good. <laughs> no one's going to do anything about it. So I'm fine. Yeah, it's fantastic, especially because, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm okay personally, but from a footballing perspective, Jason, I'm slightly depressed going into the first match of the season. Well, I mean, we probably could have had better but we didn't uh, beat Real Betis and Leeds didn't so that's one nil in the win column there well exactly um it's it's a clean sheet what's going off I keep saying it what's going off off the what's going on off the field obviously will always have an impact on the field it's just bound to happen but I'm trying to put that to be back of my mind at the moment it's been going on for too long um I think it probably didn't really help us at the back end of last season with all the, the media hype and the extra pressure that was was put on. And obviously, you know, let's face it, as we sit here on Monday night recording this, um, Derby are probably actually in a worse position than they were in that final game against Sheffield Wednesday. And that was, uh, that was a torrid afternoon. So My nails um, have just about grown back from biting them all that thing. But I'll tell you what it is, Jason. It is refreshing to actually have a football match to discuss. We've, we've had a lot of content over this summer, but to actually talk about football matters and not off the field matters, it's refreshing for once. So it Simon, is. I want to I get to you real quick. Um, Huddersfield's preseason. What, what's the preseason form been like uh, for Huddersfield? Obviously, not many teams have been on a, on a world tour or anything like that. But uh, give, us, give us the lowdown on, on Huddersfield's preseason and, and the form going into this opening match of the season. Yeah, it's been a bit different in truth. Um, four real pre-season friendlies, um, three against kind of lower league opposition, one against Norwich, um, and some mixed results. Kind of obviously, the friendlies aren't necessarily all about results, but it's always nice to see a kind of a, a win. Um, I think kind of kind of talk about pre-season um, and Derby County being our first league game. Actually, we played uh, yesterday. We recorded some Monday, as you mentioned. Uh, in the Carabao Cup, the first round, that was brought forward a week. Clubs were given the option to do that. We played Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, probably, arguably, the most competitive game we've had to date. Uh, a nil-nil draw uh, against the league opposition, um, on which we kind of came out winners on penalties for two. Um, so I think we're in a, a relatively good place going into the first game. Perhaps slightly undercooked. I think in previous years, it would be fair to say we've had more pre-season friendlies. But um, what I've really liked about this preseason is that we did quite a lot of our transfer business early. Um, in previous years, I've uh, been quite critical of the fact that we brought players in towards the end of the window and not the start. But actually, a number of our signings were in kind of the first of July, uh, and kind of the Carlos Corbran and the team have had 
a number of weeks now to work with them and kind of share their ideas and etc. So in that sense, it's been good. But to your point before, it'll uh, all be a little bit redundant if we don't deliver on the pitch come Saturday. And I know Jason's going to talk about um, the transfer business in a minute. But before, Jason, I turn it over to you. I'm going to rudely interject here because I have a question for you, Simon. You mentioned the EFL Cup game was switched, and that was odd to me because Derby were playing a friendly uh, against Notts County and, and I'm sandwiched in between the Batiste game and the, and the uh, Notts County game. Why was it moved forward? That was a very odd thing for the EFL Cup game to be played played when it was. Why, why did that happen? Uh, good question. Um, I don't necessarily know the ins and outs. My understanding is that um, teams across the Carabao Cup were given the option whether to play the the first cup fixture when it's scheduled for, which I believe the majority of games will be uh, a week on Tuesday, or to bring it forward a week. I think kind of both clubs needed to agree, uh, which seemingly Sheffield Wednesday and Huddersfield Town did. Um, and in that sense, it's, it's kind of acted as another pre-season friendly. You could argue it devalues the EFL Cup. Um, I feel like it's quite low down the pecking order of most clubs' priorities, as it is, to be honest. So I'm um, not sure that. But... Um, but nice to get a win, actually, in that, in that competition. Um, we've come off the back of a little bit similar to ourselves, so quite a tough campaign last year. I think there are a few question marks around kind of Carlos, Carlos Corbran. Um, so to get off to a good start, I think it's important. Um, Derby, obviously, on Saturday will be the priority for, for the team and for the fans, but nevertheless, nice to get a win and through to the next round. I, th- I think that, as you say there, it's a little bit strange, but I- I'm looking at that possibly in a positive for Huddersfield because like you said even though the the it possibly was treated like a friendly and I'm going to ask you what kind of a side you put out in a second but at the end of the day that is classed as a competitive fixture so it's it's a competitive fixture that you've had right before the start of the season and as, as we know you know all fans go into that first game you never quite know you know pre-season can bring optimism it can I mean Corey you'll know from from Derby we've had a couple of over the last few years where we've had really good pre-seasons and then got off to an absolute dire start in the league where, and then we've had indifferent pre-seasons, but actually started off the league campaign. Okay. Um, So it it is difficult to judge, but sometimes, you know, obviously the pressure's on that first game, especially when you're at home, uh, putting it on Derby's shoulders, you want to get off to a, you know, a a relatively good start in front of, in front of your own fans to get the ball rolling, take away everything that's happening at Derby County at the minute, just trying to focus, uh, you know, obviously on the game, just as an opening day fixture, but it, it's a real thing for Derby that, that they have to try and get off to, obviously, a, a good start. But Simon, what, what kind of side did Huddersfield put out yesterday uh, in this in the Cup game? Yeah, I mean, on, on paper, it looks very much a full-strength team, in truth. Um, there's still, a kind of, I think, a few question marks from us fans in terms of what is Carlos Corbran's preferred 11 going into the season. But... Um, yeah, and we wondered how he would approach it, whether he'd use it as an opportunity to give certain people minutes, make a number of substitutions. But actually, it felt like possibly the strongest 11 he had available to him. A number of our kind of pre-season signings featured um, and actually was quite tactical with his substitutions and such. Um, he was only permitted three uh, and one he made for the penalties. I like England, obviously, it went slightly different um, this time round. But, uh, but yeah, a strong team. As you say, go, one to, you mentioned, you know, new signings were involved. The the main thing for, for me when I look back at Uddersfield, um, obviously from towards the back end of last season, most notably, um, a couple of centre-offs left the club in, obviously, ex-Derby County, uh, Richard Keogh, who I know only came in in, you know, January time, whatever it was. 
And of course, Stearman, who we've actually um, had on had on trial. Not not sure um, if he'll become a, a Derby County player full time, but I must admit he did play in every single one of the preseason friendlies by yesterday. We actually didn't play any trialists yesterday. I think that was a bit of a nod towards Saturday with, you know, this is what's going to happen if we don't bring anybody in. This is this is the calibre of the squad that we've got, which it was all right against the non-league side, but, you know, coming up against championship opposition, um, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a whole different ball game for certainly some of the under-18s that were involved in that. But centre-off, it was it, it obviously must have been, if, if losing two, um, must have been a, a key area for Huddersfield to strengthen this season. Did they manage it? Yeah, we actually uh, shipped out four through, through the close season. So Richard Keogh, uh, Richard Stearman, who you mentioned, but we lost uh, Christopher Schindler, obviously um, a legend uh, in Huddersfield Town um, kind of arena, uh, scorer of that penalty that got promoted to the Premier League a couple of seasons ago. He's returned to his native Germany and we wish him the best of luck with that. Um, we'll be kind of fondly remembered for his time at Huddersfield Town and welcome back any day. And we also had Tommy Elphick on our books, who admittedly didn't feature at all um, last season, um, was injured quite badly the year before and, and took kind of over 12 months to recover from that. Was on the bench a couple of times towards the back end of last season, um, but didn't feature and, and has kind of now left the club and I think kind of still still looking somewhere to play his trade. So yeah, we, we kind of we had a big overhaul at centre-half. Um, we've actually brought in... Uh, Three new kind of centre halves. Um, so, firstly, uh, a guy called Matty Pearson, who you might be familiar with from Luton, free transfer, um, fits the bill as a bit of a nonsense centre half. Um, and I think it's likely he will start the majority of games. Uh, we also brought in a bit of an unknown 18 year old from Chelsea on loan this season, a guy called Levy Colwell, if I pronounced that correctly, uh, probably left sided centre half. I imagine he'll feature quite heavily. Um, will be a lot to ask of a young 18-year-old, but I think it's unlikely Chelsea would have loaned him out just to sit on the bench somewhere. Um, he trained with his Chelsea first team on a couple of occasions last year, I believe. So um, so quite high expectations of him. I think he'll be more of a ball-playing centre-half who hopefully can carry the, carry the ball out of the back. And then in addition to that, um, recently, kind of as of, as of yesterday, I believe, um, Tom Lees has signed for us, so ex-Sheffield Wednesday, you might be familiar with, been there for a number of years, ex-Leach United as well. Um, feels like someone who's quite proven at this level. Um, so um, so I think quite a solid signing. Um, then if we just look across the, the back line more broadly, actually we've signed two new fullbacks as well, probably um, as cover for our, for our kind of first two fullbacks that we look to kind of strengthen, um, strengthen that back line. Um, the back line, which obviously conceded the most goals in the Championship last season. So, Forgive me, kind of, um, we've done lots and lots of uh, business in that area, but I think the question on most town fans is have we done enough business in the, in the attacking third? I think we're all quietly confident that we will have a more solid um, backline than what we did last year. But actually, it's at the top end of the pitch where I think a lot of town fans are wondering will we create enough chances and will we score enough goals? Yeah, I mean, obviously, not quite as bad as the, the end of the season as as Derby, as Derby had last season. But, you know, you managed to scrape yourself out of it with a few games to go rather than leaving it to the wire. But of course, it, it, does, it's not, it doesn't take a, you know, a, a genius to work out that teams down that end, usually it's because they don't score enough and they concede too many. <laughs> certainly what... Um, Certainly what both sides have, have looked at. And whilst, Corey, I would argue that, you know, Huddersfield have, have gone about their business uh, quite well. Obviously, Derby on the other spectrum probably needed to refresh their entire back line as well. Uh, as we sit here today, we've actually not got a um, centre-half signed to the club. 
other than, you know, uh, under 18, who actually played yesterday and actually played really, really well. So it'd be interesting to see if he's involved. But as we say, it, it, it's a back line that Derby shifted out some players, um, but obviously we've, we've been unable to unable to strengthen that. And then, as you say there, I think, obviously, strike force. Every every team wants and needs a 20-goal-a-season striker to do to do anything in this league. I think, I, you know, we mentioned it off here. You look at Swansea, uh, not only because of IU, but a lot of what, a lot of good what Swansea did. Certainly when we spoke uh, with Total Swans TV, Corey, you know, they were saying, obviously, towards that back end of the season, IU was out. And you could see a, a real difference. And obviously he was back for the playoffs and almost got him, almost got him to the final. But Simon, in a me and Corey have, have spoken, we spoke about this a few weeks ago before the window opened, really. And it was like, what is what is the transfer market for, for clubs in the championship going to be like? And we fully expected not a lot of money to be passing around, apart from Fulham, of course, they they seem to do what they want. Um, but for, for the majority, I would say, of the other at least 18 to 20 clubs in the championship, it was always going to be a case of swaps and, and, and free transfers in, for, you know, letting players leave and, and free transfers in. You say you say about the strike force there, is there anybody out there at the minute that you think you look, you know, you'd look at probably not a great deal amount of money to spend at Uddersfield, obviously same as Derby at the moment. It, it for that missing piece of the jigsaw for Uddersfield to have a competitive season, is there anybody out there that you look at up front that you think, you know, wouldn't mind taking a gamble on him? That's a good question. I think actually up front, I mean, there's, there's people I'd take a gamble on, but I think up front, um, because it's like we'll play a, a, a large striker almost, we won't strengthen that area any further. We've got three strikers there now in, in Jordan Rhodes, Fraser Campbell and Danny Ward, who will rotate between that number nine position. Um, in my opinion, much of a muchness um, haven't really been that prolific in, in the last few seasons, which I think is why we're a little bit um, uh, nervous, for want of a better word. I think to, to try and answer your question, it's, it's the kind of the creative player behind that striker, um, the one who can find the kind of the, the gaps between the lines, who can thread the passes through where we would want to bring someone in, as would, to your point, most clubs. Um I think what interests me most is, is kind of the loan window. So if I think back to the season when Huddersfield Town got promoted, we brought in Casey Palmer at that time, who you'll be familiar with. We brought in Izzy Brown. Um, both of those had really strong seasons with us. I think kind of their careers have perhaps not lived up to expectations since then for both of them in, for different reasons. Um, so I think I'm sat here now hoping that we'll go into the loan market, go to those kind of top six, seven, eight Premier League clubs, and find another 18, 19 year old we can bring on loan. Um, a little bit like Emil Smith Rowe, actually, kind of going back kind of uh, 18 months or so when, when he came on and Danny Cowling and find a gem like that um, to play in that kind of number 10 position. I'd be struggling for names to give you, though, in, in truth, in, in terms of kind of what those kids look like. But, um, but I think that's more the, the most realistic thing we can do right now. So um, I'm sure, sorry, I'm a bit. I'm a bit uh, you talk about the, the, the position in behind the striker. Uh, isn't Dwayne Holmes supposed to fill that kind of role? I know former Derby lad, he, he was in, played kind of in that position. He looked well in fits and starts for Derby. They, Derby kind of pushed him out on the wing. And I know he went to Huddersfield. And I know as soon as he, he got his finger out and actually was happy in a place that he wanted to be at, he started scoring. I think he scored like a 35-yard cracking goal on his first or second appearance for Huddersfield. And we hadn't seen that at Derby for a while. 
wasn't isn't isn't Dwayne supposed to be that that creative link from from the midfield to the forward line? Uh, is he supposed to be? Perhaps he is. Do I do I personally think he's got the talent and the consistency to deliver that to the standard that we need week in week out? Probably not. In truth, um, you might have seen more of Dwayne Holmes than what I've seen of him over the last kind of three four seasons. Um, but that wonder goal aside, I felt like he didn't contribute too much last year. Now, that's perhaps not through all his undoing. I think the way we set up possibly didn't help him. I think similar to how it was at Derby, actually, he was moved from pillar to post and position to position and, and almost a victim of his versatility in that he could play as that kind of number 10 off the top man. He could play out right, out left, kind of almost as a more deep line midfielder. And I think he would benefit from some consistency kind of holding down the position. But for me... I'm yet to be convinced that he can deliver that week in, week out. I think I think you basically just summed up Dwayne Holmes' time at, at, at Derby as well. You know, didn't we, Jason? We saw him do really well, and, and he was one of those players that that linked the midfield to the attacking. And there was fits and starts where he was. I mean, obviously, he he made the 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 men's national team here in America for for that for their Gold Cup qualifiers, um, and then that injury kind of set him back. But you, you saw that there was a player in there. But like you just said there, Simon, that the consistency and the level performance levels on a consistent basis are just not there for him to, to necessarily be a force that we all kind of hope he can be because we know that there's a good player in there because we see it. Right. But, but there's also a reason why he's playing in the championship because those, those, those fluctuations. Another player I want to ask you about is a player that was stood out to me. And and I've actually read a few transfer rumors about him potentially. And that is um, Liam O'Brien. Yeah, Lewis O'Brien actually. But, Lewis um, O'Brien. But, so, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so Lewis O'Brien, really good player, um, uh, product of our academy, um, one of only a handful of people to come through. Um, kind of had a year out on loan at Bradford City, where he featured week in, week out, and then was thrust into the number two town team um, two, three seasons ago now, actually, um, and has played kind of 40 odd games a season. Ever since then, a real box-to-box midfielder um, who's very kind of um, adept at being that defensive midfielder um, and breaking up play, uh, as well as kind of being more forward attacking. I've got a good goal in him as well from time to time. Uh, yeah, the vultures are circling, sadly. Um, uh, Marcelo Bielsa was at our game um, against Sheffield Wednesday the weekend, we believe. Did he bring his bucket? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if he did or not. Hopefully not. But... Um, but yeah, it does feel like there's a little bit of interest in him. And I think, whereas I talked before about what I would like to see Huddersfield do in the window between now and when he finishes at the end of August, I think what's just as important for us is hanging on to, to Lewis O'Brien, if we can do, um, plus Harry Toffolo and, and kind of Josh Caroma, who I think who would struggle to replace, uh, to be honest. Um, but yeah, we'll wait and see. I think kind of, Selfishly, I hope Lewis O'Brien says what is your town of course to do is an asset to the team and it'd be very difficult to replace as I mentioned, but you could definitely understand the the draw of Leeds United working under Marcelo Bielsa um and playing in the Premier League. So um it will be tough to to kind of withstand any offers um that come our way, but we'll see. And, and Jason, before I turn it over to you, Simon provided me with a perfect segue here. Uh, Marcelo Bielsa, one of his disciples is Carlos Colberon, who's obviously the Huddersfield town manager. Um how I think it's safe to say Huddersfield didn't necessarily 
live up to expectations last year. I know they were kind of in a bit of a transition, but they were lower in the table. And every manager, you know, goes on a poor run. They're all under pressure all the time, right? You lose three or four games, you're going to get sacked. Three or four games, you're going <clears> to <throat> win manager of the year. Um, how, how long is Carlos Corporan's leash or for the lack of a better term, how hot is the hot seat for him right now? Is he, is he starting off the season under the gun or does he have a little bit more leash to before they start reining him in here? I, th- I think he's got a little bit of leash. I mean, um, Phil Hodgkins, our chairman's been in role or been kind of sponsored for the club for what I think is um, three seasons now. Um, so, be, so this will be his third season. Um, and he's made kind of two pre-managerial appointments in that time. Um, he kind of dismissed Jan Siebert quite quickly um, into his tenure and then appointed kind of Danny Cowley and did a fantastic job. But I think there was a bit of disagreement behind the scenes um, in terms of how to build from there once we kind of um, stayed off relegation. So I think there'll be a real reluctance to swap and change managers again. And for that reason, I think Carlos Corbrand does have perhaps a little bit longer than what some may do, um, given his kind of past record. I think last season we saw some real glimpses of what Carlos Corbrand was trying to achieve in terms of the fast-flowing football, the, the high press, the real energy. We scored some very, very good goals, which were very, very pleased on the eye. But we also probably saw some really poor stuff as well. 7-0, we lost to Norwich away. I think we got beaten 5-0 against Blackburn as well when kind of a number of kind of errors trying to play out from the back, etc. Poor positional play, just quite weak defensively, really shone through. Um, I think, look, for, for a lot of managers um, out there this time around with fans back in the stadium, I think fans will be quite quick to kind of vent their anger and, and share their frustration um, and share their emotions. So, it's important we got off to a good start and, and Derby actually is, is quite a key game because we have Fulham quite quickly after that, a couple of the tough fixtures. So, um, so yeah, to kind of summarise, longer leash than most, but as ever, probably not as long a leash as he would want. Jason? Yeah, and I mean, so obviously we've talked about new ins. We've talked about, well, we've quickly mentioned a couple of obviously key members of, of the other Uddersfield squad and, and, you know, by name, at least the manager, you would you would hope can can do something. Simon, it's probably a very difficult question. Obviously, we we kind of touched on it off air, but what what is the expectation for us, Phil, this year? Really difficult. Um, right before I we spoke about how I think we all all feel it's possibly one of the weakest championship tables or championship divisions for a number of years. There are and not necessarily the number of kind of standout clubs that perhaps they want to be because of the, the pandemic and, and kind of some money stuff. It feels like everyone's shopping around for the same sorts of players. Um, all that being said, I think expectations are relatively low kind of around Huddersfield for the reasons I mentioned. Yes, we'll be more solid at the back, but actually will we have enough creativity and enough kind of prowess up front to score enough goals? Possibly, possibly not. I think a mid-table finish is, is realistic. So kind of 13th, 14th, I think that's what I would see as netting out. Um, some town fans I speak to are a bit more pessimistic than that in truth. Um, <clears throat> and kind of see as being relegated or just just kind of um, avoiding relegation. I, I think that's unlikely. I think that there are worse clubs out there than us. But um, I think one thing we did learn from last year was that championship, it's a lot about momentum. It's a lot about keeping your squad fit. Um, we and, and probably other clubs don't have the backup players 
that um, I guess at the same level as the first level and the number of injuries in quite short succession can, can put you back. So um, 13th, 14th is, is where I think we'll finish. Um, but I guess we'll wait and see. Always quite difficult before, before a, a ball's being kicked, isn't it, in theory? Um, perhaps if you have me back on um, before the return fixture, uh, well, kind of, you can tell me if, how, how, uh, how realistic I was. Oh, absolutely. I mean, me and Corey always do a, a, a prediction um, of where we think people will finish. And I uh, I think I went for Birmingham last season as being one of the teams to be uh, up there and potentially uh, getting promoted. And just under Karanka, I expected a lot more from Birmingham. And of course, um, I was probably in the minority who thought that because certainly whenever we had the lads on, uh, the Birmingham lads on, they were they they laughed when I said that. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. But yeah, so it, it is, it's going to be difficult. Um, and really that puts us into it. Before we actually go on to the actual fixture on Saturday, you do want to get your thoughts on, on the season as a whole coming up. As you say, it does feel a little bit weaker. I, I mean, we, for the last couple, I think we've kind of said that. Um, obviously last year, Norwich kind of just romped away with it in all fairness. Um, Watford after what was a pretty shaky start kind of found their feet uh, obviously and, and managed to get there and then really in my opinion those playoffs it, it could have been any of the four in, in all fairness um, you know you look you look at the teams we start Corey I'll ask you first I mean you know you look at the we, we've talked about it you look at those three teams who have come down and as I, I've I've banked Fulham to go straight back up I just think they've got a bit They've they've already got a pretty decent squad. They've got a pretty decent manager. They they've you know they've they've spent twelve million pound on Harry Wilson. They, they mean business clearly in it, and they may well have seen the championship and looked at it and gone, actually, if we just do this little bit, that that may well just you know tip the tip the balance of the scales in their favour. Um, who who do you think's knocking on that promotion door? For me, there's there's two teams that are that are knocking it down right now, Jason, and that's that's Fulham and West Brom. I think both teams they don't really look much weaker than when they came down, um, and they look like Fulham, obviously with Gazanig and Wilson coming in, look like they've continued to just strengthen on strengthen. Um, I would say, side note, caveat, bit weird that you can defer payments for two years on a player to get around FFP, but whatever. I mean, I'm a Derby fan, so I'm a bit salty with the EFL anyway. So I can see Simon, you're laughing because you think I'm just being salty. It's okay. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. I am. A, I am a little. I'm a little jelly belly because when Harry Wilson was at Derby, he was worth 50 million, and now he's worth 12. Um, but yeah, I think those two are definitely the the strongest teams uh, in this division. Obviously, that could potentially change with West Brom with the news today that Matthias Pereira is basically going to be isolated from the squad and kept away because he's thrown his toys out the pram and doesn't want to be a part of of Albion's project anymore and, and play for Under Valley or Ishmael. Um, and then, you know, for four, I've got four teams in the playoffs, Jason, and, and you're not going to like it, but I'm going to tell you anyway, Nottingham Forest, Middlesbrough, Millwall, and, and Swansea as well, I think, uh, will be, will be in and around the playoff chase Burrow because it's Neil Warnock and, you know, it's Neil Warnock enough said, um, I know Jason Cardiff, Cardiff might be in and around there as well with the Mick McCarthy effect, but, um, I hate to say it, but Forest, you know, they look like they've had a, a pretty, uh, Slow but steady, uh, close season, which is it's just weird for them. Normally, they just go and sign like literally everybody. That's why they have like sixty-five players. Um, but you know, Chris Hutton's a solid manager at this level, and, and he's going to get it right more often, more times than not. And for him to have another couple years with the, another season, another a close season with the squad in its entirety, um, will will breed will breed good things for them. So those are my kind of favorites for for promotion. Jason, what are yours? 
Yeah, I, mean, as I can't look. I can't look beyond Fulham for for winning it. To be perfectly honest with you, I think they do stand out. If you was gonna, if you was gonna force me into an answer, West Brom. I understand where you're coming from with West Brom. They they go up, they come down. They go up, they come down. It's what they do. Yeah, it is. It is what they do, and the fans know it. Um, West Brom come. West Brom, like you said, they they've got all the talent in the world, really, to to cakewalk this division. It's if they're interested in turning up on a week on a game by you know weekly basis. We've seen it when we've come up against West Brom. They've not always actually been that good against Derby. So it's you know maybe it comes down to an attitude kind of thing. I don't know, but I actually haven't got West Brom uh, involved. I think I think Bournemouth. this is probably the last year where they can, you know, with parachute payments and things like that. I, I, I would expect Bournemouth to be quite strong. And then, you know, playoffs. Uh, Middlesbrough, again, I, yeah, I don't think you can really argue with that. Uh, Cardiff, you're right. I think Cardiff are a d- bit of a dark horse. Um, Reading, <sighs> who knows? Um, a team for an outside shot, I'd say, is Blackburn. Um, they, you know, they they did some good things last year. Obviously, steamrolled quite a few teams. Uh, certainly at the beginning of that season, I know they put four past us at Pride Park and made us a little amateur. Um, okay, the steam ran out the legs a little bit, and of course, it dependent on one or two of their key men, you know, being able to being able to keep hold of them. But I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. It's it's a it's a pretty decently well run club up there. So, you know, you're in for a shout. But I think it's it's like Simon says. I think. Yeah, who would have predicted, no disrespect, but who would have predicted Barnsley to do as well as they did last year? Probably probably nobody, not even, you know, our, our friends at the Reds Report. So it, it's it's difficult. Obviously, their manager's now now moved on to West Brom. Can he go that next step, you know, with with a arguably a better team um, and a better squad of players? No disrespect to Barnsley, but it'd be interesting to see how Barnsley kind of react to that. So Reading was a team that just kind of ran out of steam, but... Again, up until Christmas, they were probably one of the form sides, complete form sides in the league. So it's really, it's, it is difficult, but you are obviously going to have your Premier League bigger, uh, your relegated bigoters that you'd expect them. But the only one I don't expect anything from um, is is actually Sheffield United. Um, Simon, I want to get your opinion on on the on the gunners for promotion before we uh, before we touch on teams who we think will struggle this year. Yeah, it's difficult to look beyond any of those clubs that you mentioned, really. I share your views at Fulham and uh, West Brom probably your one and two. Not quite sure in which order, but I think they're the most realistic to, to finish in, in those automatic promotion spots. The playoffs, uh, the last few years, if you look at Huddersfield as an example, Barnsley last year, um, there's often been someone who you perhaps wouldn't expect her to be in there. Um I'm looking at that table now. I think Bristol City have, have got quite a good squad on paper. They've always struggled for, for one reason or another, but actually there's, there's quite a bit of talent in that squad. Can Nigel Pearson, someone who's had success before, make it click, make it gel and, and kind of perhaps get them to challenge for those kind of third, fourth, fifth, sixth spots? Um, I think Middlesbrough, as you say, over there, thereabouts under Warnock, um, probably not necessarily playing the best football, but um, he will naturally find a way to win and a way to pick up points in quite difficult circumstances. Um, Sheffield United, yeah, I take your point um, that perhaps their their pre-season and their lack of activity in the windows may be a little bit uninspiring. They've lost a few players as well, but um, Johanna, kind of the manager, um, obviously the point is, again, kind of got experience of getting teams promoted and stuff, so, so I think he will 
he will expect and want them to be thereabouts. The one, the one that we haven't spoken about, the one I've mentioned is just Stoke City. I think um, Michael O'Neill um, is a good manager, obviously, had lots of relative success with Northern Ireland at international level, not really done it at club level, and has perhaps been a little bit, hasn't had the impact, has been a little bit disappointing um, in his time at Stoke City so far. I, I just think they might be the ones to watch, kind of come out of the blocks. Um, and I think he'll make them in a quite a quite into quite a difficult team to beat, I imagine, this year. A little bit like Stoke City of Old and the Pulis. Mm. They would be my perhaps absolute bet for the playoffs. Corey, are we looking at who's gonna who's gonna struggle this season? Do you want me to be honest or do you want me to give you like the the PR version? <laughs> no, no, no. I I because I've this got is a, a no feeling, holds bar, like I yeah, can I've just got go a feeling to town. Our names, I've got a feeling our names are our names gonna get I've got, I've got four teams down there and they actually sadly involve everybody in this podcast. So I apologize in <laughs> advance. Uh Luton Town, I think will be down there. Hull City, I think will be down there. Huddersfield, I think, might might struggle again, depending on on, on transfers in and out. Sorry, Simon. It's always difficult to come on, like when you've got a nice guest and a nice person, Jason, you know, like Simon, and you're like, yeah, I pick your team for delegation. Sorry. Sorry. And then obviously I think Darby's going to be down there. Uh, right now I'd snap your hand off for 20th, um, hopefully with like a six, maybe 12-point cushion in case a points deduction comes, you know, the old the old points deduction. Rear its ugly head after August 18th, possibly. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, right now as we're recording this, Darby have made no signings. Um, so, you're looking at you're, you're looking at a, another season of struggle. Yes, Derby performed well against Batiste. Yes, they performed well against Notts County, but those are preseason friendlies. Are there going to be some surprises? Yes. Are there going to be some twists and turns? Yes. Could some of the players turn it on and you find the next gem? Yes, you could. But for every Jeff Hendrick and every Will Hughes that you're going to find, you're going to find a Mitch Hansen and a Jamie Hansen and a uh, you know those kind of standard of players as well that are going to kind of wash out as well. So it'll be an interesting thing. I don't think Darby can necessarily rely on the youngsters. So right now I have Darby finishing um, uh, in, in the relegation zone, pick one of those three spaces and then two from those remaining three teams, Luton, Huddersfield and um, Hull. Jason. I think this is a point I hang up now, isn't it? And disappear off. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can, you can go now, Simon. No, actually, Jason, before I go to you, I want to get Simon because I feel like he's going to put Darby down there just out of spite. <laughs> I mean, if, forgive me, um, I might not be invited back now, but it is hard to look past Derby. As you say, you've not had, been, uh, had a look to bring any players in. I know you've got a number of players on trial who presumably have been assured or, or kind of provisionally offered contracts as and when you're allowed to do so. But um, kind of it's tough old championship seasons and it, kind of the number of games you need to play and you need quite a, quite a big squad. So right now, Derby are probably in the weakest or the worst position of all the clubs in the championship in terms of what they've been able and allowed to do. Um, I think uh, Hull City, as you mentioned, will be one that's down there. I think Peterborough will struggle. Actually, a club who's come up and um, tend to do so in the same way that uh, the championship and the Premier League operate. Um, yeah, quite interesting to see how Coventry go this year. Um, probably a club with a lower budget in the championship. They're back, at, back in Coventry, actually, for the first time, which you would imagine would work together and then work for them, but just don't inspire me. Um, so I think it'll be three from those four. Ooh. Well, I'm going to mention a few teams that nobody's mentioned. So this this is what we mean by it being such a, such an interesting division. Um, I actually think Derby will be all right. I'm not just saying that because I'm a Derby fan. I actually do. Uh, I think Uddersfield, Uddersfield will be fine. Um, for me... I think Blackpool 
it will be a step too far for Blackpool. Oh. I'm sorry. I, I, just, I just can't see it not being. I, I really can't. I mean, I've not really um, kept, a, kept abreast of what they've been doing in, in close season, but it, it's, a, it's a big step up from a team who was in League Two not so many years ago. Um, Hull, again, okay, they were in the Championship a lot sooner than Blackpool were, but I know it's been a big rebuild job up there. Um, I think whilst any team that gets relegated from the Championship, obviously they want to come back up pretty quickly. I, I still don't know if that's a step too far for, for, for Hull. So I think they'll be down there. Uh, Peterborough, for me, are probably the team out of the three promoted sides who I'd expect to do the best. And I'm only really, I'm only really putting that on because normally when Peterborough don't come up, the Championship clubs swarm all over their players. And most of them do quite well. So I can only presume if Peterborough have managed to put a decent side together and come up, then most of them will stay. I've got a feeling that they'll be all right. Um, I think a, a team we, we did mention it, I think Birmingham could be one that, that struggle. You know, you've only got to look at that last six to eight weeks of, of the last season. Obviously, we were down there, yourselves were down there, Birmingham. And it really was, it was who could mess it up the best. Uh, and we tried, which we, we seriously tried. And when, when you actually look at the three teams that went down below Derby, one of them had a points deduction, one of them had never played in the championship before, and the other one, Corey will tell you that I haven't got much time for um, in Rotherham. So it, Derby obviously got by on, on the skin of the teeth. I think this time round, I think generally they are, that again, there are probably three or four teams. Can I say they're worse than Derby? Not from a standing point, as you've just mentioned there, Simon. As you look at it on paper, Derby are definitely, the, on paper, they, they can't field a full squad. So they have to be one of the favourites for relegation. I mean, it's the reason why Skybet aren't even allowing you to put money on it. Um, so it, it's one of the things. But from from the things that we've heard about the club that, uh, from Derby that players are going to be coming in, and if they do sign four or five of the try lists that we've had on, I would say that that's just about enough to get Derby out, out of it this year. Um, but yeah, for me, Blackpool, I mean, it'd be great to go, but I, unfortunately I can't see them. I can't see them staying up Hull. We, we've got them on a Tuesday night. Absolutely um, gutted. We were hoping got... for a kind of end of September deep down at the seaside. It's a Tuesday night. Absolutely. Oh, I think Darby's got Blackpool away in April. We've got oh, them. The last, we've got them. The last Brilliant. Get your sticker rocks out on the promenade. We've got them the last game of the season. Oh, it's fantastic. So it might be a, a relegation three points. It be a six points, yeah, yeah. It would be. Who knows? But yeah, they're the other team. I mean, don't get me wrong. As we say, whilst there's always a dark horse that that does well, there's always one you expect to be pretty good. You know, coast through the championship and and finish. You know, in the higher end, and ultimately they they struggle. So it's really it is difficult. Um, okay, COVID football, uh, the transfer market, everything. It's probably made a lot. Very, all clubs are very, very similar at the minute in terms of quality and things like that, and that's why it could it could turn out to be a bit of a boring year season, but it might actually turn out to be one of the better ones because it's everybody beats everybody, which kind of happens in the championship anyway, but more so, more so. This I think it's fun for me. Yeah, having been fortunate enough to, to spend kind of like two years in the Premier League, that that second half of that second season became so predictable. We played a number of teams who um, we would go 1-0 behind and you just knew the game was over 10, 12, 15 minutes in. Uh, and that's what I've come to love about the Championship. It's unpredictability. Anyone can beat anyone. It's a real squad game. It's a real test over 
have a, a long season and um, there'll inevitably be a few twists and turns. And I think kind of, forgive me, it's, it's become a very cliche saying now, but given the 18 months that the country has had kind of not been able to do what we all wanted to do, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that as supporters, we can only attend games and kind of sing and, and kind of chant and have a good moan about various bits and pieces. I think it'll mean it's a very enjoyable season, almost irrespective of the football anyway. That's certainly what I'm looking forward to. Corey, our time's coming to an end near enough. Just before we go, we have to talk about the actual fixture on, on, on Saturday and, Obviously, very difficult with it being the curtain raiser to predict how, how things are going. We've kind of touched on what the clubs have been like on, on close season. J- just a quick word from yourself, Corey, on, on the actual game on Saturday, w- what you expect in. And of course, we have to do a score prediction. They are back. I am going to, I'm going to play it safe, Jason. I am going to say this. I'm going to say this, Jason. If Derby are in the promotion places going into the last match at Blackpool, are me and you wearing matching Speedos on the promenade? Oh, hey, I'd, I'd be there. There we go. You've seen it. Mind. We're going to do it. Um, <laughs> in terms of the score prediction, the serious bit of the podcast, um, I'm going to play it safe here, and I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. I think, you know, Darby do, I know, uh, I think I just think they're going to cancel each other out. I think, depending, obviously, it's going to be a, a big 24 to 48 hours for Darby, as every 24 to 48 hour period has been for the last two years. Um, Simon, that's a running joke, because that's when the takeover is supposed to happen eight months ago, 10 months ago, whatever. Just always, it's always 24 to 48 hours away. It's just, just far enough where you can't touch it. Um, but yeah, I think it's a big, it's a big crucial time. And I think if, if they're able to get the trialists and I think that completely shifts the dynamic of Darby's season than, than where it is currently right now, but I can only talk about currently what Darby have. Um, so now on a Monday evening, recording this podcast, yeah, I think uh, a one-one draw would be good. I think Darby have got a bit of confidence. There's a little bit of good vibes after the Batiste win and and then the win against uh, Notts County as well. Um, I think Huddersfield having signed the players, especially like you say, Simon bringing him in early. Hopefully, uh, that would have made them gel from your perspective. But from my perspective, hopefully they're not the finished unit yet, and 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 people are still kind of piecing some things together and everything like that. But I do think that Darby they're going to know each other. They're going to know how each other plays because they only have one another to rely on because there's only so many players in the camp right now that can actually play. So I'm going to go for a, for a one, one draw, Jason, Simon, what do you think? Yeah. It's similar sort of vein, really. I think it'd be nil nil actually, which is very uninspiring and dull for the first game of the oh. season. Isn't it? I thought it should be picked in three, three or something like that. But I think for the reasons I explained at the start, I think we've, we've massively strengthened our back line. I'm, I'm expecting some much more solid in that respect. Um, we've got a new goalkeeper as well, which I haven't spoken about. Um, but I do worry about our ability at the top end of the pitch to create chances to put the ball in the back of the net. And I think for that reason, and the fact we've just had a nil-nil as well, kind of um, on, on yesterday, ironically, um, I think kind of, yeah, more of the same for us, which away from home, start the season, wouldn't be the best result, but it wouldn't be the worst result either. Yeah, I mean, I mean certainly in Dar- just focusing on from Derby's predicament, obviously, Corey, we know as it stands at this moment in time, as we say, that, that that's the sentence that we have to use. Um, Derby have got to take absolutely every ounce of opportunity that they, they they may well get. And obviously that's not something that normally happens in football, but any any leeway that Derby get on the pitch, they have to they have to capitalise on. Which in a team last season, which I think only Wickham, oh no, actually I think Wickham scored more than us. So in in a in the season where you know we only we, we were the lowest scorers and we've not brought anybody into to add to that. Um, and in all fairness, 
really in the from what I've seen from the attacking trialists that we've had, do they really bump that up an extra 20-30% that Derby probably need to be, you know, in and around that mid-table area? Possibly not. So I still I, I do think Derby will struggle for goals. And as I say, Derby haven't got a recognized center off at the moment. It's as simple as that. So I'm actually, I hate to say it. Um I was going to say, I hope I hope a home crowd kind of drags Derby over the line, but I've even heard that they're struggling to sell tickets. So um, that's kind of the relationship that the fans have got with the club at the moment, which is absolutely diabolical in my opinion. But, you know, each their own, everybody can, everybody's allowed to voice their own opinions. I'll certainly be there. I'll certainly be cheering them on. Um, I hate to start in this way, Corey, but actually I've, I've got a feeling that, that Uddersfield are going to win. So. What a negative Nancy. I know. <laughs> it's, it's Jordan Rhodes, mate. Jordan Rhodes and Derby never go never never go well yeah, together they're not, if, he's, they're not if he's playing. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I, I think you could you'd hope for a point, get off the season, get a get a first point on the board. I think as Simon said, if it had been away, different scenario. With it being a home game, you want to get that point on the board or, or three points on the board to, to get started. Because whilst Derby did struggle last year, the home form was pretty uh, decent. And I think I think to that, Jason, it's it's a very it's a very important game for Derby. All the games are important to all the teams on opening day because obviously you want to get the W, you want to get the three points on the board. But for Derby, it's more so because the opening of the opening of the season isn't necessarily the strongest, right? I think it's uh, I think it's there's in the first five there's Huddersfield, Hull, Peterborough, Huddersfield, um, Peterborough, Hull, then somebody, and then Forest. Mm. So I think you know when you look at it, this is very this could be a very crucial fixture for Derby because. If they get a win, right, good vibes are flowing. Everybody's feeling good. We're upbeat going into the next couple games against newly promoted teams, which look could potentially be winnable. But again, if Huddersfield come in here and take Derby and, and beat them 2-0 or whatever, you could also see that month going very pear-shaped going into the Forest game on the 28th of August. You know, And then you've basically – the big boys are then coming is my point, is that first five games you're not really playing anybody who's – going to be kind of you're thinking in the upper end of the table, right? You're playing kind of the midder, lower middle table kind of teams. And so, so it's an important game. You start off with a win, you get your three points on the board, good vibes are flowing, you lose. And that month could go very pear-shaped. And again, like we saw last season, Jason, it's very difficult when you don't win a game to, for a long period of time, right? The negative feelings up until that Norwich game were, were rampant with, with the things they got turned over by Blackburn and things like that. Then the Norwich win happened and that kind of was spotty form, but it's difficult to pull yourself out of that. And right now I'm looking at Derby need to get nine points. I'm looking at least trying to get nine points on the board as quickly as possible to hedge any kind of bets or hedge any kind of buffer against a potential points deduction, which, which may or may not be coming. I don't know. I'm not in the know. I'm just speculating here because the accounts are due on the 18th and the EFL is looking for it. Right. So I'm trying to say, let's get as many points on the board as possible, because if there is a points deduction, I don't want to be like, oh, crap, there's four games to go. I got to get nine points on the board in April. I'd rather have them on the board now and have them taken off and I'm, and I'm playing it safe. Yeah, I mean, it's, like I say, it's just from a Derby's perspective, it's just with everything going on. You, you just, it, it's been a, it's been a kind first five fixtures. I think if you were to look at it on paper, but of course, when, when the fixtures were released, we were expecting Derby to have a squad of 18, 20 players, which they've not got. They've got a squad of 12. So that that's where it, it sticks. for One them. of which was injured by the manager in a 50, yeah. 50 tackle and is out for three months. Bang <laughs> that, on the starter. True. Yeah, well, exactly. And obviously I I did go to the preseason friendly yesterday. And as I said, if that's an, a nod 
uh, and a nudge towards the starting 11 for, for Saturday, it's, it's a very young, inexperienced back line. It's, and again, it, it's, it's a veteran like Jordan that... Rhodes is going to pick them apart. That, that's yeah, absolutely. going to happen. They're, they're, yeah. they're wily old veterans for a reason. Jordan Rhodes isn't what he was five years ago, but there's a reason why he's still getting clubs and he's still hanging around. He's still hitting the old onion bag because yeah. Jordan Rhodes knows how to play the game at this level. It's like a David Nugent. Nugent, I mean, he's not what he was, but they're hanging around for a reason because they're the wily yeah. old veterans. And there's oh, enough absolutely. about him where they can cause problems. Full, fully agree. And as I say, it, it, it's, a fr- it's a front firing line that faltered so many times last season it was it was incredible and, and that's just not been not been added to so I mean we wanted to end on positivity Corey it's, it's difficult to end on positivity at the moment but hey hopefully there's some some news on that and uh, you know if this chat had been a little bit later on in the week we, we might have been a, a bit more a bit more optimistic with Derby but I, I just can't see it myself unfortunately. I think this is the first time we've ever had a guest on the podcast Jason who all of us have all relegated each other's teams Mm, could be. So that's kind of like a new one. It's kind of like a tit for tat. Like I bet Simon had a completely different thing. And he's like, oh crap. Now I got to relegate Darby because they're putting <laughs> down there. Let me do all the permutation. So it's all cool. It's all cool. But Simon, thanks for, uh, thanks for spending the evening from us uh, with, from us. Thanks for spending the evening with us. Um, you know, we're appreciative of your time and we love what you're doing over it. And he takes that chance, you know, like we follow you guys and whatever. And it's just awesome what you guys are doing. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can, we can catch up later in the season when, both of our teams, both of our teams are safely in mid-table mediocrity. I certainly hope so. Yeah, yeah. lovely to meet you both. Thank you much for your time as well. It's been uh, been great to chat and um, all the best for the season. Speak to you soon. No See worries. You, Simon. Thanks, mate. All right. And Corey, as always, thank thank you. Uh, you know, I always have to thank you. Uh, yeah, I can't thank myself. That's a bit vain. So uh, thank thank you for joining us as well. And and it, it's the it's the first of many. Um, and I'm just hoping it might be a little bit better than last season because that was bad enough. What the podcast or the actual performances on the field? Well, just just everything. I mean, the podcast was a blast. We'd got plenty to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, but, our listeners thought it was a blast, but we did. Well, yeah. But of course, that is all. And until next time, guys, up the Rams. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Rams Review Podcast. We would love it if you'd like to get in touch. On Twitter, we're at RamsReview1. On Facebook, it's Rams Review Podcast. Or you could drop us an email, ramsreview at hotmail.com. Until next time, up the Rams. The Rams Review Podcast are proud to be part of the Fan Hub 100, putting fans first.